Thanks to all who donated during WMNF Summer Fun Drive. It was heartwarming to see so many of you give out love for your station. If you missed it, it's not too late. Please call 813-238-8001 or hit the tip jar on WMNF.org. Thank you. Good morning, this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss, and before we proceed any further, I want to thank all of you who pledge in support of Talking Animals as part of the WNF Summer Fun Drive, which just ended yesterday. We did come up a bit short, and uh, so we are looking for, if you didn't get a chance to pledge or you'd like to pledge again, please call 813-238-8001 or go to WMNF.org, and you could still help us out. I also want to offer a huge thank you to Bev Capshaw, Laura Taylor, and Flea, the dream team I assembled to raise money last Wednesday in my absence, and they did a fantastic job. I'm enormously grateful to them and to you. Also, I want to say... I and many others here at WMF are mourning the passing of Mary Glennie, a major influential figure here at the station, and very kind and very supportive to me personally, I might add. So, rest in peace, Mary. As for today's show, my guest is Ali Berger, uh, a possum advocate and rehabilitator. Berger's profound fondness for possums, her passion to protect and serve and heal these marsupials is notable and will certainly constitute the focus of today's Talking Animals conversation, which rest assured will address the possum-opossum dilemma. But she is a woman of many talents and considerable education. That education includes, and please pay close attention, I'm not going to repeat this, a bachelor's degree in English literature, a master's degree in journalism, a second master's degree, this one in linguistics, and a PhD in linguistics. Berger is also a painter and designer, and her artwork often features animals. She operates three galleries and or boutiques in New Orleans, showcasing her artwork and other creations, including the newest outlet, which is described as carrying, quote, our most animal-loving and vegan pride designs, unquote. Returning to possums, Berger continues to rescue and rehab them, and a few days ago she published an excellent illuminating piece on HuffPost entitled, I've spent seven years with the possums, or possums, sorry, Here's what to do if you suddenly encounter one. She also just issued a new book, Possums Are Not Cute, and Other Myths About Nature's Most Misunderstood Critter. We'll discuss various aspects of possums. I can, I can very virtually guarantee you'll learn some things here when I speak with Ali Berger in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WNF. Later in today's program, I'll talk with Crystal Davidson. Adoptions coordinator of a promised land local animal rescue organization that's holding an adoption event in Newport Ritchie this Saturday, June 18th. We'll hear further details a bit later in the show. Right now, though, let's discuss possums with Ali Berger. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Allie Berger on Talking Animals on WM. Good morning, Allie. Hi, good morning, Duncan. 
All right, so let's let's take a tally. How many times did I mispronounce either your name or possibly possums just in that opening mo- mo- moment there? Well, I think I'm about as picky as as the, on the pronunciation of my name as possums probably are, which is not very okay. Um, so it's fine. I I say a berger, but um, but I've heard all sorts of ways, so it's totally you know anyway is fine. Berger. Yes, perfect. Uh, okay, I'm going to get it. Certainly by the end of the show, I'll certainly have it much better than I have it now, apparently. So anyway, but thanks for joining us on Talking Amazon. I do look forward to discussing a number of topics with you, some directly on topic, some decidedly probably off topic. But before we get into anything else, I think we must address the marsupial in the room, by which I mean, let's try to clarify this whole possum, opossum business. So I'm under the impression that there's an international distinction uh, but even that doesn't hold in conversational use, uh, or maybe it does when writing the word versus saying the word, since one rule of thumb is that you pr- don't pronounce the O in the version that starts with O. So, anyways, let's uh, t- tell us exactly how this works, because I know I already heard from some people uh, when they found out what the show was going to be about today, said, can we talk about, can you, can you get her to explain how to pronounce <laughs> this thing? So let's dive into that, and then okay. we can move on to other stuff. Perfect. Well, it is. It does get a little confusing only because um, possum. So, opossum was the original word in English for the first uh, rat-like marsupial that English colonizers came across in America, which um, was the Virginia opossum. So, Virginia opossums were called opossum based on an Algonquin word um, for the same animal. And um, Captain John Smith started writing about the opossum. Um, and then an English uh, naturalist, um, Joseph Banks, went to, when he went to Australia, he uh, ran into the Australian, what we now know as the Australian possum. And he called them an animal of the, quote, opossum kind, because they do kind of bear slight resemblance. Um, to the Virginia opossum that we have in the United States. Okay. And so anyway, he called them opossums. So for a while, both types of marsupials in the Americas and in Australia were called opossums. And then eventually, uh, probably around um, like 1940, 1950, there started to be a movement to call just the Australian possum possums and keep the American animals as opossums. So that's technically correct. The technical terms now are that opossums are all the um, the various opossum species uh, of marsupials in the Americas, which there are over 100 different species. Um, we only have one in the United States, which is the Virginia opossum. Okay. But there are some. There's a water opossum. There's um, a woolly opossum. There's a whole bunch of different types of opossums in Central and South America. Okay. And then there are over 70 types of possums in Australia. Wow. They're very cute as well, but they do look a little bit different, and they're only distantly related. Okay. So when like, when I read, for example, your uh, HuffPost piece, which was terrific, and uh, again, I think almost anybody was, would, would likely learn a few things, and maybe they'd learn a ton of things. Um, so that was the O-P-O-S-S-U-M thing, but, but if you were to say it, you would say possum. Am I getting this? Yeah, or? I, 
Yes, I um, I grew up like many people in America. I grew up saying possum. Okay. And, um, and so I I typically just say possum. But I when I'm writing, apart from in my my new book, which is possums are not cute. Um, there's no O there because it's kind of you know it's it's kind of um, fun and colloquial and you know I wanted to keep it uh, approachable for everyone you know like me who grew up just calling them possums. Right. Um, but yeah, usually, typically when I write and on the, you know, I have um, a social media for possum advocacy um, and education called Sesame the Opossum. So on there, I always use opossum. But in conversation, um, you know, I use possum. And I think a, a lot of people do. And that's how a lot of people know them in the U.S. So it does, it does get a little confusing just because our nickname for the animals is the same as the, the technical name for the uh, right. alien animals. <laughs> so, so yeah. here's what I love about this. I think I said this in an email to you yesterday. I mean, because of this and because of the informal version, you really can't get it wrong, even if you don't even understand all the distinctions and the international distinctions among them. Um, I mean, when you're speaking aloud, you, you can, I guess, yeah. still get it wrong when writing. But even that, I guess there's some allowances made there. Yeah. Yeah, there's actually, there's um, there's a lot of allowances made. Yeah. Um, even these days, you see, I mean, now you don't see opossum being used for the Australian ones really at all. Anymore. Okay. Um, but historically, it used to be. And like I said, you know, Joseph Banks originally called them opossums. Right. Um, so technically, the Australian ones really are opossums, but they, over time, I guess you're saying that people have just embraced the usage of saying possum, even though... That, that that doesn't recognize the distinction. Well, yes, it does. Um, so actually, technically now, um, like scientifically, they've been they've been categorized as possums. Oh, okay. So so it actually has changed. Uh, yeah. In a scientific, legitimate way, not just because people said, oh, "I can't figure this out," and, and it's okay to exactly. say possum. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. It's scientifically, thankfully, it has legitimately changed so that there is a distinction. Opossum is the Americas, and then possum are the Australian ones. Okay. Uh, so it really only gets confusing when we just use it in conversation. Right, because um, then opossum becomes possum, and that's not technically incorrect. Right. Yeah, okay. All right, well, see, yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we clarified everything here. This is excellent. So, um, right. <laughs> so apart from the pronunciation thing, which uh, I think clearly is, is complicated, but I think you did clear up a lot of it, um, in your experience, what's the biggest uh, misconception or misunderstanding that people tend to have about possums? Um, you know, I think the biggest one would be that they are um, vectors of rabies, that they carry rabies. Um, their body temperature is is uh, very low for the size mammal that they are. Yeah, and so they actually um, it's actually like virtually unheard of for them to carry rabies um, and transmit it. So while you know animals like foxes and raccoons and things and bats obviously um, are known to carry rabies, possums are not really known to carry rabies at all. So yeah, that's one of the things uh, I think was in your Huff Post piece that that I learned because. I guess I hadn't even really th known or thought about the fact that I guess an animal has to have a certain body temperature uh, to even be able to carry rabies, even if they're the kind of animal that could. Right, right. Okay. Yeah, I think their body is, you know, the, the virus requires like a certain temperature in order to 
um, <clears throat> to incubate or to stay hosted in the mammal. So, um, yeah, so they, they're they virtually immune to rabies, um, and that includes other viruses like distemper and parvo as well. Um, so they're really not, you know, I think people will see them and think that they're, um, you know, they're dangerous, they don't want their disease, but they don't want them around. Um, but they're really not, like, they're not, they're not typically a threat to pets. Or, um, you know, and they're usually not a threat to humans as long as you kind of give them their space, leave them alone. Um, And then they're really good for the environment. You know, they'll eat um, slugs and cockroaches and all sorts of other things (laughs) that we have around. Um, So I think people think that if they see one, you know, I get calls all the time of people calling me and then saying, I have a a possum in my yard. And uh, and I'll be like, okay, (laughs) what what do you want me to do? And, um, you know, and they'll say, oh, well, can you come get him? And I'm like, well, is he injured or, you know, does he need help? Um, and they'll say, oh, no, but, you know, I just, I don't want him in my yard. And I'll, you know, and I'll chat with them and say, well, maybe you do. You know, they're, they're really good to have around. They clean things up. Um, they eat bugs. So, you know, if I typically tell people if there's, um, you know, if they're not, they're not bothering anyone and they're not injured and they don't need help, it's usually fine just to let them be and, you know, go about their um, their job is like little sanitation engineers. You know? Yeah, so that's the thing. They're really they're they're quite positive. Now, what do you think? Uh, I mean, what do you think prompts those kind of calls where people are nervous and say, "Well, there's nothing really wrong. I just want the possum out of my yard." Because is there something <laughs> that I mean? Because uh, God knows that, um, especially for this uh, social media post I did about the, the show we're doing right now. I, I, I used a picture of uh, I guess it's labeled Flower Baby. Uh-huh. And people went nuts, of course, for that picture, and you know, Aww. super, super cute. Uh, but even even older, this is clearly a baby um, possum. But even older possums, I mean, like, what is the thing that seems to be intimidating or frightening to people in, in your experience? Um, you know, I think it's that their first impression is not always super cute. Yeah, <laughs> and um, I think that's part of why. You know, I love having social media because it does help me share photos of them in a new light, like the flower baby one. And, right. You know, when even when they're older, I mean, they can be super cute and they are really endearing. They have these big beady eyes that just stare at you. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so I think I think it's tough because when you see them in the wild and I mean, myself included, I'll see them in the wild and. They've been, you know, living outside. They have these long tails. They look like giant rats. Um, and they have really sharp teeth and a lot of them. So they have um, 50 teeth, which is the most of any land mammal. So they'll open up their mouths as like a defense to scare you. And it's pretty effective. Like yeah. you see them and you'll, you know, and your first reaction is like, okay, I got to get far away from this. Yeah, I'm not messing with this creature. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's really their only defense. Like they're not, they're not aggressive, so they won't actually run at you or like attack you or anything. They won't run at pets and attack pets. Um, but they are very effective at not looking approachable and not looking, um, you know, not not looking very friendly, which is yeah. good. They shouldn't. Right. But, um, yeah. So but, so it's just it's just those defenses that they have that that they have right rightfully so. That I guess some people find off-putting or, or 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 threatening even, so that's why you get those calls and other people that that know what yeah. you know and do what you do get those calls. Yeah, because there's really. I think if you, 
Oh, go okay. ahead. No, I was going to say, no, because it sounds like really there's so many great things about possums and there's really no threat or downside as long as you're smart enough not to approach one that wants space. Um, yeah. Sounds like really nothing bad could really happen and a lot of good could happen even if they were hanging out in or near your yard. Yeah, exactly, exactly. They are, yeah, they're, I mean, they're, um, yeah, they are really good to have around and I think that, Another reason why, um, you know, I like having the social media does, I feel, make a big difference because once you get past some of those initial encounters that you might have, which is where if you accidentally startle one and then it opens its mouth at you and then you get freaked out and they're freaked out, um, you know, if you can get past that and kind of like take a moment and just look at them in a new light, they, um, there's something really endearing about them. And, you know, I watch, there's a couple... Um, there's a few, you know, in my own neighborhood. And if you can get, like, a quiet place to kind of watch them, they're, the wild ones are just as cute, if not cuter, than, than the rehabbed ones you see on social media or, you know, some of the wildlife ambassadors that you see on social media. I mean, those ones are super cute, but there's nothing cuter than a possum, like, playing, you know, like, playing in a tree or um, just, like, eating you know, eating random plants outside. Just going about possum business, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And they're so unique. Like, they're, yeah. really, they're the only marsupial in Amer- that we have in the United States. Um, so they're a really cool animal. They're, um, but, you know, it is, it is nice to have them um, out in the wild and be able to observe them in the wild as well. Yeah. Well, I'm going to identify it for people who might just only be tuning in now, but before I do, we just have one little postscript to the uh, possum versus opossum thing. One of our emailers wrote in saying, I thought it had to do with whether they're Irish. <laughs> so that's pretty good. I, yeah, I have seen that cartoon around um, St. Patty's Day. Yeah. Um, awesome. So here's, here's uh, one other question actually from a uh, a wildlife rehabilitator that's been on the show um, <laughs> says, Allie, have any good tips to help identify the age uh, of an opossum? What is the oldest age on record for uh, our U.S. opossum? So the oldest age on record, um, I believe it was, you know, I just had this, I think his name was Patrick, and he was a, um, he was a wildlife ambassador, so he was technically like a captive or cared for possum. Um, and he was, I think he lived to be maybe five. Um, wow, that's it? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, they have a very, I'm sorry, I always <laughs> I always forget that it's, um, it's not commonly known that possums have a very short lifespan. In the wild, it's only about one to two years is their average. Jeez. And then, um, and then in in captivity or, you know, if they're educational ambassadors or if they're, if they're taken care of for some reason, they typically, it's only about three years or yeah, so. Yeah. Okay. That, yeah, I think that is striking if, if you're, if you didn't know that, or if you just were thinking, you know, I don't know, I don't know what I was thinking, but I wasn't thinking that, that brief of a uh, lifespan for some reason. So that, that yeah, is yeah, it's very short, especially for their size, you know, cause they're, they're medium sized mammals. Yeah. Uh, so it's actually, you know, in, in my research, I found that uh, one of the big reasons why their lifespan is so short is because with the introduction of the automobile, we've been sort of unknowingly uh, selecting them to age quickly because we've been 
you know, running over so many on the road that um, the ones that reach reproductive maturity quickly are the ones that end up passing their genes on. Oh, so wow. The ones that that also means that they, you know, they end up passing away more quickly because they've aged more quickly. Um, but it's something similar. It's happened to freshwater octopuses as well. They've, um, they apparently have like a very short lifespan because they, um, because of the prevalence of natural predators. So for us, it's kind of an unnatural predator. It's the automobile of possums, and it's it's sort of led to this um, really quick lifespan. So I was going to ask you about because you, you drew a distinction between their their even shorter lifespan in the wild versus if they're captive or uh, ambassadors. Mm-hmm. So so is it strictly because I was I was going to say is there predators or other things? But is there something more than the car uh, element that that also uh, tends to shorten their lives in in uh, in the wild? No, um, not really. I mean the cars. So cars are one of the big. Um, one of their big causes of fatalities. Um, there's also, you know, hunting and human uh, human cause. Um, but other than that, they don't have a whole lot of natural predators. Um, they've been expanding their range. So, you know, they've, they've made it out to California, um, you know, where I guess they might, um, you know, coyotes and a couple other things. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, they haven't. They don't really have. Uh, there's, there's not really like a prime predator that's okay. going to be. Yeah, so it's they, just cars and circumstances. It sounds like kind of that. <laughs> yeah. That, that leads exactly. to a, even a shorter life than they might have if they were in captivity or they were serving as some sort of ambassador. Yeah, I got yeah, you. Yeah, and there's actually um, a population of um, of possums that are in on an island off the coast of Georgia. And they have, because there are so, you know, there's few cars on the island, there is the activity, human activity is kind of a lot less aggressive towards possums. Yeah. Um, they, their lifespan is actually, uh, I think it's been found to be one and a half times that of the ones in the mainland U.S. Oh, wow. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't that nice? <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you just tuned in, my guest is Ali Berger. How'd I do? Good, great. <laughs> better, better, or, or not, not, still not quite there though, right? I'm, fi- I'm fine tuning it. What's that? I would say Berger. Like, Berger. Okay, I don't know why I can't. Uh, okay, I got to write myself a note there. Okay, I'm gonna get this down by the next time. I promise. Anyway, she's a possum advocate and rehabilitator who recently published a. An illuminating piece on HuffPost entitled, I've Spent Seven Years with Possums. Here's what to do if you suddenly encounter one. She also has a new book out, Possums Are Not Cute, and Other Myths About Nature's Most Misunderstood Critter. If you would like to ask Allie a question about possums or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663. Email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. So uh, definitely getting some emails here. Uh, one says, I had a possum in my garage, and it didn't look too cooperative. After further thought, I left the back door open overnight. The next morning, the possum had vacated the garage. Easy. So that's from Bob and Largo. So, yeah, that's... That uh, a lot of times, if you just provide an escape route, um, the possum will take it. Yeah. Well, I had an experience uh, not long after we moved to Florida, and we live in kind of a slightly rural uh, enclave, Um a possum ended up in our trash can, 
And but I I I wasn't sure because it was upright. I wasn't sure if I could get out. So I mm-hmm. called our kind of wildlife local wildlife uh, sanctuary. I said, you know, what do I do? Kind of the question you get all the time, I guess. And because I <laughs> you know I just I just wanted the possum to be okay. And they said just you know maybe gently tip over the trash can, but leave it alone. It'll find its way out and it'll all be good. And that's exactly what happened. Yeah. Well, and you know, the other thing about possums is, um, you know, most people are familiar that they play possums. Yeah, in fact, there's an email that just came in about that as well, yeah. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Well, I I didn't know until I started working with them that it's actually an involuntary response. So um, they they kind of go into a coma-like state for, um, it can be anywhere from 40 minutes to four hours. And so anyway, if you tip over a trash can, I think you're... Your method was the right way to do it. Kind of tip it over and then leave them alone for a while. Yeah. Up to four hours, just in case they've kind of gone into playing possum mode and then need to get their wits about them to actually run away. So were you, are you saying that that's involuntary, that they just go into that state when they feel like stressed or in some kind of threat? Yes, exactly. Okay, so they, they can't will themselves into playing possum, as it no. were. Okay, because no. this email said, I've okay. seen and smelled a few that were faking. And I, know, I think a lot of us probably <laughs> think that, you know, just because of the term, that it's, maybe they sometimes are just doing that kind of to protect right. themselves and hope whatever danger that they're near, surrounding will pass if they, if, they, if they do play dead. Right. Yeah. Actually, um, they do have their, um, one of their defenses is to kind of freeze. And so they do voluntarily they'll kind of, you know, freeze up and get real um, stiff and, you know, kind of draw their, their lips back and everything. But the actual, um, the actual act of playing dead where they, um, they really will seem dead, like their mouth will, will pull back into that sort of um, grin and they will, you know, be pretty just like um, unconscious on the ground. Wow. Um, they actually are are unconscious and it is an involuntary response. Okay, cool. All right, so well, we I got some. Of, like, oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I'm saying I think there's a little bit of both at play. Like I think, yeah, they, um, you know, sometimes their their reaction is to kind of freeze up, but the actual freezing up, the real playing possum is is not a voluntary response. I see. That's really interesting. All right, so we've got some calls and some more emails. One email is like incredible and it's minutia, so I'm just going to read it to you right now. Is it true that possums do not have thumbnails? Oh, yeah, that's that's true. They do. They have, um, it's called a hallux. It's like a little thumb. Their back feet actually look a lot like a human hand. Okay. And so they have multiple thumbs on their back feet. And all of their fingers have these like long nails that they use for, you know, holding onto trees when they're climbing. But their back thumb... The two thumbs on their back feet don't have a, a, a thumbnail on them. <laughs> okay, great. So, so, all right, so here we go. So we never know what kind of question we're going to get next. So uh, with that in mind, we're going to give a little here and take a caller just out of the blue. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ali Berger. Hello, it's you. Hello. Okay, I guess you're gone. <laughs> hi, hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ali Berger. Hello, can you hear me? Yeah, go ahead, please. Oh, great. A few years ago, I noticed possums living in my yard, and I had dogs. So I was concerned that they might hurt my dogs, and I called the Humane Society, and the woman who took my call said, you have nothing to worry about. Possums are like the hippies of the animal kingdom. 
They're going to camp out, <laughs> and then they're going to move on. <laughs> and sure enough, they that, did. I love that. That is, that I know, is so right? cute. And it's so true. Yeah. <laughs> so you can use it's that. It's so true, though. It was, and it's been true. I still have them camping out, and then they move on. I play a little Grateful Dead for them, and it... <laughs> Oh my gosh! I'm gonna I'm going to start using that as well because I actually just told um, someone who called me about a possum in their yard, and I I kind of said the same thing, but um, with a lot less character to it. <laughs> you there know, you I basically go. said they're, they're pretty nomadic. They um, they'll stick around. You know, they'll find a spot, they'll sleep for a couple days, and then they really do move on. Especially if you know if there's not um, easy access to food. So I tell people if you don't want them for whatever reason, um, just bring cat food inside. You know. Um, try not to leave food out. But the other the other side of the coin is that they are really nice to have around. Yeah. I never got scared of them again, and they never hurt my dog. Oh, I'm so happy to hear that. <laughs> okay, some, some f- further pro-possum folks. All right, thanks for, so much for your call. So... Um, uh, so what I was going to do, uh, uh, Ali, is get back to some of my own questions, although we, we keep getting emails and I'm sure we'll get some more calls. But um, uh, so I've been doing this show for the better part of 20 years. So as you might imagine, I've spoken to a large number of folks who are into rescue and often rehabilitation. But as a possum advocate and rehabilitator, I think you're kind of a true rarity. Um, so trace that path for me. How did you get started in possum rehab? Um, yeah, yeah, actually, um, so I started out, I was, I was doing a lot of, you know, rescue work with dogs and cats and I actually worked as a vet tech between schools, um, and loved it. And I've always been an animal lover, but then I had, um, a friend of mine was, um, was a rehab, was working as a rehabber and actually during baby season, they get, um, there are a lot of possums that come in because, you know, as we talked about earlier with the cars and everything, sometimes mothers will unfortunately get hit on the road or, you know, babies need rescuing or they'll find orphaned or injured babies. Um, so anyway, uh, during baby season, there's there's typically a lot of um, need for, for wildlife rehabbers and people to actually work with and help wildlife. So um, the my friend of mine who was doing it was like, you know, I have this little possum, you just need someone to watch after him, he's, you know, and, um, and that was the start of a very slippery slope, um, and, you know, I, once, once you start working with possums, it's kind of, um, addicting, I think, yeah, yeah, exactly, it's addicting, they're kind of, they're easy to fall in love with, they're very, um, not difficult to care for, but they're, uh, they're very finicky in a way, and, and actually surprisingly delicate, um, so, you know, I always I always tell people, like, first of all, you do not, like, try to take one in as a pet um, because they need very specific medical attention. They need very specific, um, they have a very specific diet that they need, and they'll get very ill without it. So that's one of the saddest things when we see someone take a possum in and try to treat it as a pet. Um, the possum, inevitably, unless they've done a ton of research or, you know, or have worked with um, possums before, the possum will get very ill and sometimes end up um, passing away. So, um, so yeah, they're they're very rewarding to work with, but they're also um, surprisingly high maintenance, which you wouldn't think for you know an animal that seems like so chill and yeah <laughs> and slow moving and everything. But um, but yeah, it was it was kind of I mean I love research, I love learning, and I I love animals, so it's kind of like possums were the perfect mix of all that because okay. I kind of 
I started to, you know, it was an opportunity to learn about something that seems so, it seems so common, but then I realized there was so much about them that I didn't know. And, um, and they're just, I mean, at least to me, I think they're like super fascinating animals. Yeah. Well, as we touched on at the opening of the show, and as we may come back and delve a bit further into if we have time, I mean, you're obviously super passionate about learning, so this makes sense that, you know, part of some of the challenges and, and, and maybe idiosyncrasies of possum appeal to your kind of uh, research, academic-minded side. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. And, you know, and it's kind of fun just a little bit. Um, it also doesn't seem overdone. You know, there's there's researchers that have been working specifically with possum, um, but they're they're kind of few and far between. Mm. And so it's it's sort of a topic that um, it's not easy to get into, but it's fun because there's uh, you know there's there's a lot to still uncover. Yeah, it sounds like. It's ripe for discovery and new new findings and whatever, just because it sounds like it's it's been uh, relatively unexplored uh, compared mm-hmm. to a lot of other animals. So, um, yeah. so here's another email. It says, a few years back I had a possum who was obviously in distress. It was in the street in front of my house and just kept going slowly in circles with occasional stops to have a seizure for a few hours. What would cause this? I was thinking it might have gotten into my neighbor's rat poison stations. So, um, rat poison is always a possibility with possums. Yeah. But, um, actually that sounds to me, uh, like head trauma. So uh. the circles is a very classic sign, um, especially in possums of neurological damage. And so with, um, with possums, often it is, you know, if depending on their size, um, if they're larger, sometimes they will get, you know, clipped by a car. Or if they do get hit by a car, but not, um, you know, but they're still they're still functioning, but they get knocked on the head, um, they can have pretty significant neurological damage, which will uh, manifest itself in that kind of spinning, oh, wow. um, repetitive spinning around. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we see as rehabbers, um, we do unfortunately see that a lot, and I I have seen it clear up before, but um, but there's uh, you know there's a lot of times when it's sort of um, the you know, euthanasia is maybe the best case, uh, just because it it usually doesn't clear up from my experience. Yeah, if it's um, head trauma, like especially from a car or something, sounds like that that possum's not likely to get better. Right, right, and yeah. you know, and I think as as rehabbers, we always do our best, and you know, and I've had ones where I I hold on to them for um, for a while just to see, you know, if, if they're if I can keep them comfortable. Right. Um, you know, to see if they're going to recover at all. But, um, but yeah, usually, I mean, it's, it's pretty sad, but usually, um, yeah, usually something like that with head trauma. But the best, the best thing to do in that situation is to call a rehabber just because the rehabber will assess and, you know, and then you can rest assured that the re- most rehabbers will do everything they can to see if they can rehabilitate an animal and release it back to the wild. Um, so that's, that's really the best case is to, you know, call a rehabber in that situation. So let's uh, let's uh, develop that a little bit more. So let's say I've got a, a possum in my yard that you know I didn't learn anything from this conversation, so I'm concerned about or whatever. Or 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 actually, better example, I see one that is walking in circles and seems to have some kind of distress or injury or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. When you say call the rehabber, how do you find them? How do you? Uh, I mean, how do you find them, especially? 
that would, like you, specialize in, in possums? I mean, is it just a matter of, uh, of an online search or is there some other path that, that people that find them, may find themselves in a situation could, could find that kind of help? Yeah. So actually, I always tell people um, to, you know, if you have a moment during the day, um, research your, your local wildlife centers mm-hmm. before you actually, because if you have that, you know, when the, when the situation arises, um, and you're trying to find a place that can be a little tough, but if you've already done it, you know, when you had a quiet moment just to, you know, make a little list of places nearby, yeah. um, you know, then when you run into that situation, you'll, you'll have it handy. But actually, um, even more specifically, like you were saying, you know, where do you just Google search or what? Um, there is, I have a link to it on the Sesame website. It's, um, the website is it's me sesame.com. So www.itsmesesame.com. Okay. Um, and I have a link to, uh, this directory It's called animal health now. And it is wonderful. I mean, it is indispensable, um, in terms of finding wildlife, uh, rescuers and rehab centers. Okay. And so ahnow.org, animal health now. And, uh, and you just put in your zip code or your lo- location and click wildlife emergency. And it's a directory of uh, wildlife, licensed wildlife rehabbers um, near you. And they'll also say what animals they spe- specialize in. So, you know, they'll say if they take raccoons, because you need special licensing and everything in order to take raccoons versus possums versus birds versus um, whatever type of animal. Yeah. I, I think, is I forget, is there a guy that kind of runs that age? Because I, th- um, I know, think, okay, I had somebody related to that, I think, on the show one time. I mean, because uh, it was Oh, my God. I should know because I, I basically rep, I mean, I basically, like, rep them. I mean, not not officially, but I yeah. tell everyone about them. So I really should know. Okay. Um, well, may, maybe it was someone that they referred, but uh, this this sounds very familiar, like kind of a referral uh, service yeah. slash directory slash, you know, resource uh, center for wildlife yeah. issues. Yeah. So it's AH now, right? An- yeah. Animal Health Now. Um, in 2011 to 2012. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who actually runs it. But okay. It's, oh, it's a it's a nonprofit project of Animal Watch. Right. Yeah. That sounds exactly um, right. Yeah. Yeah. So it seems like it's a team of three. Okay. Um, who who began it? Um, the Animal Watch board. Uh, started Animal Hub now, but I've I found it to be a huge help. Um, just because you know, I I agree. Before I before I got really involved with wildlife, I mean, I had no idea <laughs> or who to call. And a lot of people, you know, get distressed because they don't want to call animal control because um, they figure that they'll just come and euthanize it. They actually want to call someone. You know, I mean, they want to give the animal a chance at being rehabilitated and released back to the wild. Um, you know, which an, animal control has its place as well, but they're, you know, they're going to try and, um, they're, you know, they would end up having to find a rehabber in order to actually help the animal recover as well. Yeah, and we don't... We don't to the rehabber, that's good. Right. And again, we've got our, our, our rehabber friend saying, yeah, animalhealthnow.org. That's to find the, the nearest rehabilitators and to find truly humane wildlife control companies. So... Um, so mm-hmm. that's perfect. So we're starting to run out of time, unfortunately. I'm going to try to take at least one more call. Uh, hi, you're on Talking Owls with Ali Berger. Uh, hello. How are you doing today? Good. How about you? Good. Question or comment for Ali? No, I want to 
uh, I'm late on this subject. This is a different subject about animals. I'm gonna be very quick. Okay, to- is it is it not is it about what we're talking about today, uh, possums? Nah, Otherwise, we don't have time. Nah, I'm sorry to a, say. I got a possum. I'm gonna go quick. I got a possum in my yard, but it don't bother me. Okay, so. <laughs> well, that's good. Yeah. Okay, all right. So I'm sorry we don't we can't really cover other topics, but we're almost out of time for the one we are on today. So if you want to try back another time, we'll be happy to talk about it then. Okay, thank, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> thank you. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Ali Berger. Hi, I just uh, wanted to say that I I really uh, uh, like possums. I've uh, had uh, relations with uh, possums before, and they're very loving in the bedroom. And uh, okay, thanks. <laughs> Jesus, we're on a run here. Um, okay, so anyways, uh, Ali, uh, there was um, one other question that I'm going to go back to that I had in an email. Oh, yeah, do possums eat fleas and ticks? Yes, so that's actually a super um, interesting question. They, uh, they will, so they groom themselves a lot like cats, Um they're very. They're actually surprisingly clean. People are always surprised at how how much time they spend grooming themselves. And so, part of that grooming themselves is removing any um, ticks and fleas as well. Uh, but there is a little bit of conflicting information in terms of fleas. In um, two thousand and nine, there was a study, uh, and that's the study that that um, kind of spawned this idea that they can eat five thousand ticks up to five thousand ticks a week, and that they're just like ticks machines to vacuum cleaners. Um, but the only thing is that study was done on captive possums, and mm. so it was kind of, um, you know, Skewed. it's not clear about how um, how accurate it is in terms of what possums do in the wild. Yeah. So there was actually last year a 2021 study that studied um, wild possums, and they concluded that they do not seem to be consuming um, ticks at that level, or even they don't really seem to prefer eating ticks at all, is what that study concluded. Um, but, you know, like I said, it's kind of, um, there's conflicting information out there. They definitely do eat slugs, snails, um, cockroaches. They eat a lot of insects. And so I don't see any reason why they wouldn't also um, eat ticks as well. And, you know, the, the study on the captive ones, they they ate ticks. So, um it's, it's a little uncertain these days, but I think it's, it's one of those things where with more research, we'll probably end up learning more about them. Um, but, you know, assuming that they do eat ticks, um, it's really good in terms of keeping Lyme disease at bay and Rocky Mountain spotted fever and, uh, you know, and also eating all the sort of insects that get into people's gardens and things like that is never a bad thing. Yeah. Okay, again, this is Talking Animals on WNF. We're just in our final moment of, um, I'm Duncan Charles. We're just in our final moment of speaking with Ali Berger, a possum expert who's written a new book, Possums Are Not Cute and Other Myths About Nature's Most Misunderstood Critter. And um, so let me uh, turn to something that I alluded to that's not directly possum-related, although it seems like it has some connection. So I'm just really interested in your educational background. So you have two masters and a PhD. Uh, that obviously reflects a real passionate love of learning what else does it suggest i mean why for example is the phd or actually one of the masters in the phd in linguistics um you know i i guess i don't know i think it's part of uh, being interested in communication Mm -hmm. and and, um stories and how how uh language can present certain things yeah so i think um 
for me, like being interested in linguistics and communication, you know, people will say, oh, so I guess they're not doing that anymore. And, and I'm like, but I do. I mean, every day I'm communicating with people every day, um, you know, even as it relates to possums. I'm, you know, I'm using language and writing and, um, and these different styles of communicating to share a new light about possums. Um, you know, I, I keep up with a lot of the research in terms of, you know, either writing, writing articles or, you know, writing the book, um, Possums Are Not Cute. I'm yeah. researching that. Um, so to me, it seems all kind of interrelated uh, in a way. You know, it's all about people and, and different, like, preconceived notions about things and kind of um, turning over or writing, I don't know, shining new light on, on topics that maybe we thought we knew. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, I, I do think I still use it. <laughs> right. Well, no, it just sounds like uh, across the board here, a key thing is just kind of a uh, kind of an insatiable curiosity. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's a, that's a really good way to put it. Yeah. Um, Okay, yeah. Ali. Well, we have we have unfortunately reached the end of our time. I, there's other things I was hoping to talk with you, and I'm sure there's more emailers and even non non kooky phone callers, um, possibly. <laughs> but, uh, but one thing we didn't even get into at all, I just want to at least briefly mention that you're also well. I did mention the top of the show, but we didn't discuss this. You know, you're an artist and designer, and you run kind of these cool galleries, and uh, um, so. We, you can find out more about that at gallery. And then it's, I'm going to spell the last name, the one I've been you know, trying to perfect my pronunciation of b u r g u i e r e s dot com. So gallery berger dot com to find out about the, the whole art and design and, and a lot of the animal uh, oriented art and stuff and vegan related things. So there's plenty more to discuss, but we'll, we'll certainly have you on again sometime, Allie, to cover some of the stuff we didn't cover and just get more updated on uh, possums and other things. So thank you so much for joining us today on Talking Animals. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Duncan. Thank you. In a moment, I'll speak with Crystal Davidson of A Promised Land about the rescue uh, adoption event they're holding in Newport Ritchie this Saturday. Right now, though, we're going to step into the comedy corner with a nod to our conversation with Ali. A piece about possums. This is Sebastian Maniscalco with a part of a piece called Possum Problem in today's comedy corner on Talking Animals on WNF. God, is it nice to be here. I'm dealing with a uh, possum problem at the house. Just moved into a new house. Me and my wife, we like to go in the yard at night, have a little wine. And these possums are comfortable. <laughs> like if they could talk, they'd be like, what the hell are you doing here? <laughs> now growing up, I grew up in an immigrant family and how we handled possums, raccoons, my father would be like, we're going to murder the bastard. <laughs> we're going to pour antifreeze on baloney. What? <laughs> Woke up in the morning, birds, squirrels, raccoons just murdered all over our property. Neighbors coming by, have you seen our cat? Nah, we haven't seen it. Check the yard. But my wife, she didn't grow up this way. We gotta call the possum police. 
It's a humane service. They come over, $150 traps. Guy tells me uh, it's $35 extra for the, uh, for the bait. I said, uh, what are you using? He's like, uh, peanut butter. $35 for peanut butter? I got dollar twenty-three Jiffy inside. What kind of... Then he tells me it's $75 per possum that he removes. I said, where are you taking the possums? He's like, I drive them 30 miles away. I let them go in Malibu. Now, I don't believe a word this guy's telling me. I think he goes down the block, lets it out. He's making $75 on the same possum. That was Sebastian Maniscalco in today's Comedy Corner with part of a piece called Possum Problem, taken from an appearance on Conan. Now it's time to speak with Crystal Davidson of local organization of Promised Land about the adoption event they're holding Saturday in Newport Ritchie. This is Crystal Davidson on Talking Animals on WMNF. Good morning, Crystal. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals today. Yeah, absolutely. So first, tell me a little bit about Promised Land, its history, its mission, distinguishing traits, uh, uh, as opposed to, you know, other rescues. Okay, so Promised Land actually started out with me, my director, um, who founded it, and another woman who uh, were pulling hard-case dogs off of the euthanasia list at um, Hillsborough County. We were fosters for Hillsborough County. And um, so that's where we got our start. And um, it kind of just blossomed from there. We've been incorporated as a 501c3 for seven years now okay um and we've gone from you know our harder case guys and we call them harder case because they're the ones with anxiety and you know behavioral issues and they got failed and ended up in in the county shelter and they're Mm. just not easily adoptable. Yeah. They're loved immensely, but they're just not easily adoptable. Um, So we put them through training and, you know, just trying to find the best situation for them. Try to make Uh, them more adoptable, it sounds like. Yeah, absolutely. And some of them, you know, we've had for, for over five years, six years, just because they don't get along with other animals. um, They're testy with certain people. You, you don't know what their triggers are. And once they're safe and they feel okay with the person that they're with, yeah, just kind of got to support them where they're at until you do find the right place for them. So, um, so yeah, I mean, in doing that, dogs are big and they take up a lot of room and yeah. not a lot of people willing to, you know, give up that part of their life to, to support that. So, um, so yeah, that we've slowed down in that area. We help where we can. We still network. Um, we help with funds where we can and try to educate people. Educating is huge. Um, but we have moved more into um, cats and kittens, helping okay. the outdoor feral population. Um, not really with trapping and neutering and, 
and that we, again, network and help along the area there, but more so bringing in um, the kittens that, or the friendly ones from outdoors. And we get them vetted, we get them socialized in our foster homes, and then uh, we partner with a lot of different pet stores to, like, you know, Pet Supplies Plus, where we're going this weekend. Yeah. And um, and we adopt them out. We do background checks and home checks. Um, and then we have a contract that states they won't be declawed and that they'll be indoor only. So trying to bring in the domesticated animals from outdoors. Yeah. You know, so cars and everything else outside. For sure, there's so many uh, risks and stuff for those for those uh, outdoor cats. Um, so let's talk specifically about the uh, event this Saturday, just to make sure we hit the details before we run out of time. So it's this Saturday, June 18th, mm-hmm. at yep. Pet Supplies Plus. Yeah, and, and you- so basically, we just set up with um, as many foster animals as we can. Yeah, and explain our adoption process. Um, A big thing for us is that personal face-to-face, letting people know that we're there for them, even past their adoption. Yeah. Questions. um, We love update pictures. We send them to our fosters. So we try to make our adopters family, too, um, just so we know, you know, we're all in this together. Sure. Just getting the, the animals into a home. But, um, so let me ask you this, uh, Crystal. So if someone goes to the event like the one this this Saturday at Pet Supplies uh, Plus in Newport Ritchie, it's, by the way, from 3 to 5 p.m. there, um, do they still sign those forms that you mentioned? I mean, are they still able to, like, if they see a cat they like, a kitten they like, are they, are they able to walk away from that event with it, but they still fill out the paperwork you mentioned before, or how does that work? So we try to speed up our process. Normally, our process takes 24 to 48 hours. Mm -hmm. Um, If we have, like, a stationary animal or kitten in the store. Yeah. Um, But with an adoption event, we do try to speed up the process. They fill out the application for the animal that they want. Um, We will go ahead and do the background check there. We just check the um, national um, do not adopt list. Okay. And make sure, you know, there's no animal neglect or violent charges. Right. Um, and then from there, um, if they're homeowners, they're good to go. I okay. can actually, you know, follow them, do the home check with their animal. And home check isn't checking for dust. It's just making sure it's, you know, safe and Safe. Yeah, I got you. Um, okay. And then um, that's about it. If they're renters, we do check and make sure that they're not above their animal limit. Okay. And they are allowed to have pets. Because okay. That's one of the number one reasons, you know, you hear there's a problem. Yeah. Yes, All right. We are unfortunately we're, we are at the end of our time, Crystal, because we're just about the end of the show here. So I'm just going to say it's a PromisedLandRescue.org to find out more information about this Saturday's event and just generally. And thanks for joining us on Talking Animals on WNF. Thank you. Absolutely. Thank you. Bye.